you keeping it vague? Well, on my work calendar, it says, like, at this at this point in the time, it says appointment. And, like, everyone can see your calendar. And I was like, they don't all need to be in my business. <laughs> That's what I do when I'm, like, need to go run an errand or have a, have a like, personal appointment or something. Mm-hmm. I just tell everyone everything I'm doing all the time. I'm very open. <laughs> like, because I'm technically at an internship down the road, and I was like, I'm going to need to leave for an hour. I have to record a podcast. They're like, cool, have fun. Nice. I was like, Where okay. Where is this? The Arab American Museum. Okay. I so got uh, um, I'm with Elizabeth oh. in the library. Oh, okay. Because I got a humanities fellowship okay. for the summer, so that was my first Alyssa placement. Who runs the archive? Runs the oh, the whole thing. Okay. Think? I don't Lisa know. Biasky? I don't know. Okay. I've you just should meet her. She's librarian. Really fun. Cool. We've already started recording, just so you know. That's oh. how I like to do it. Oh, okay. Chill. Yes. You're like uh, Chris Hardwick. Like yeah. Chris Hardwick. Yeah. I like it. All right. Cool. We just sort of jump in. We don't really alert anybody. That no. That's we fine. got the music that I put in afterwards. That's fine. That's right. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, oh, no, you no, want to inter- introduce our guest, Allie? Sure. <laughs> Today, we have Dave Moore, Carhartt Archivist and Nerd Extraordinaire with us. Wow. What a yeah. title. I know. It's on my business cards. Is it really? You yeah. gotta no. put nerd. You, now you have to put it yeah. on your business it card. It does say yeah. Carhartt Archivist. Well, that's true. My business <laughs> card says Brand Archivist and Historian. That's cool. So that's the kind of title you get when you get to make up your own. Yeah, I was. I had a friend that worked in a ho- works hospital administration, and they wanted her to come up with her title, and she was struggling for a long time until she was like. Fuck it. I'm just going to be queen of whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever, medical, Perfect. blah, blah, blah. Perfect. Yeah. They're Probably. like, make it the title you wish you had. Ooh. Well, you could be like my boss, who is the, uh, I report through the creative department, so she is the uh, senior manager of creative intelligence. Ooh. So that's, I like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> what would your we title be? We have a lot be? of creative titles here at Carver. You have a title. I have a job, title, but yeah. What would what, what you wish it was? Oh, I don't care. You can call me whatever you want as long as what I get to do is what I want to do. I don't know. Wow. All right. Allie gets shit done. Cool. (laughs) That's like, was that your quote, like, under your senior picture? (laughs) I don't care what you call me as long as I get to do what I want to do. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it should have been. Maybe that should go on my grave. And then under it, it should say, you can call me Al, because her name's Allie. Was I said Shirley, and then I was like, don't call me Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> that one. I like these deep cuts. This is good. <laughs> this is how we do it. Awesome. So what does that entail, being... Oh, say your what? title again, because I forgot it now. Well, it is brand archivist brand and archivist. historian. Okay. Um, but now I pretty much have to tech um, damn admin on there. Okay. I'm also the admin of our digital asset management system. So on a given day... Who knows? Uh, no, I mean, it's everything from, um, you know, overseeing the processing of new new acquisitions that come in, doing the acquisitions myself. Um, I mean, mainly at this position, or at this point now, I do a lot with our, um, just like outreach, mm-hmm. training new employees. Um, I do a lot of travel now, because the more that the archive here has become like a, a piece of the company, I'm getting you know, invited to come to store openings and trade oh, yeah. shows and things like that because we're an old brand. We're 130 years old. So mm-hmm. that's become more and more of a cool thing to, to represent the Yeah, history. when I came in, I could see all the different photos from different ad campaigns and mm-hmm. things like that. So that's yeah. part of your collection yeah. and work. You should see the other building. 
Yeah, this is, well, we're in a, um, our building, so we have three buildings on our campus. One is under construction right now, which is the one where the archive used to sit. Mm. So we're kind of in a temporary archive space right now, while we actually are constructing and building a purpose-built custom archive space. Oh, wow, that's so exciting. It's super, super, super exciting. Something that I didn't dream would be happening um, just really in the grand scheme of things five years after we started the archive here. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? I just think that's really cool. Five yeah. years, they started talking. Because you have to convince people that don't know what you're talking about necessarily. Sure. About Because they know about their brand and they understand how long they've mm-hmm. been around, but they don't necessarily understand, oh, other people are interested in this or might want to know your history or yeah. you can make revenue off of these. Yeah. That's kind and of that's, hard. That's, you know, you, you, the biggest thing is you count, you know, when you're building the program, you, you count, you know, you have your reason why, you know, you of course have the intrinsic love of history yeah. and you know, the value, the intrinsic value that I put on saving your history and archives and all that, which of course we all do in the archives world. But, um, you know, you figure out how to couch, couch it in that. You know, we can use these in marketing campaigns. We can we can um, sell product by like bringing in heritage elements to like new products and mm-hmm. stuff. Even if it's not fully recreating something from the past, it's you know using um, old patterns and things on graphic T-shirts or you know any anything yeah, like yeah. that. And I think it's it was it was good here because it was always a heritage minded company. It just wasn't a company that had the best organization and controls around the stuff that they had that was old or like, you know, collecting it and Mm -hmm. making sure that you kind of had that full, um, you know, historical record of, of the company, you know, filling in the gaps and doing all that kind of stuff. Right. So So I guess a company that's 130 years old, but the archive's only five years old. How do you sort of deal with, with that, with having to like, you know, there's like 125 years of stuff that you're missing and that you're always mm-hmm. going to be missing. And so I guess, how do you go about getting that stuff or trying to get that stuff? eBay. Wow. <laughs> you know, we're, we're lucky for me, uh, a lot of, you know, a good, really good representation of the history of the company for us, of course, is the product, is the clothing. So the nice thing about me being able to get a better you know, to fill in those gaps in the record is being able to go on things like eBay or mm-hmm. reach out to like vintage stores or do that kind of stuff to acquire the clothing and all that kind of stuff. Um, the part that's really rough is is the other pieces, you know, the, the old catalogs, right. some of those things that, that are just kind of pe- going to be piecemeal that you're going to be able to find or you're not going to be able to find it at all. Yeah. So really, I what I did, um, you know, very quickly within like a year or two, I realized that a lot of this is we just need the story, we need the information. So it, was, it wasn't so much, you know, a lot of this primary stuff is just kind of gone for good. Mm-hmm. So I started programs with our um, interns, uh, of which Allie was, in, was an in, former intern here at Carhartt. <laughs> um, but, you know, I started a program to scrape online um, newspaper repositories, you know, bought some subscriptions to that kind of stuff. And, and especially the Detroit Free Press because we were established in Detroit. So how do we get information? How do I at least yeah. fill in the story, you know, to be able to kind of use some of the stuff I have to sort of visually tell the story, but that information 
we can get it from certain places. So a lot of that has been scraping newspapers for, you know, from the earliest years of the company and what they can tell us about, you know, the, those years and the things that we don't quite know that maybe weren't saved. Um, and plans to do that with a lot of other stuff. So it's right. always kind of a prioritization thing and it's you and an intern. How much in, like, on the records management side of things, how much institutional records did they have? Um, you know, a, a decent amount of stuff from the early years that had been saved. Like, luckily, a lot of correspondence from our founder, oh, wow. Carhart, with his salesman. Okay. Because so much of the business relied on his sales force that was out there trying not only to, to deal with existing accounts who were buying the product to sell it in their stores, but to build the company through finding new business. And so it was really important for him to communicate. And a lot of that stuff was saved. It was these pockets of okay. um, people throughout the years who were sort of the the hoarders, I guess, or the, the record keepers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot of people's kind of personal collections that ended up being the biggest value because they were just that type of person. Right. Um, but when it comes to records management and things like that, I mean, we are, we're a company that has a huge kind of footprint of people knowing about us, mm-hmm. but... When I tell people that really we have roughly about 5,000 employees worldwide, they're very surprised by that because, mm-hmm. you know, we seem like a bigger company than we really are. So we don't actually have a formal records management program. Okay. So I um, I always describe it as, you know, I'm running around with a bucket trying to catch all of the raindrops yeah. in a rainstorm, right. you know? So I really, I, I try to keep an eye on... From a current perspective, I yeah. try to keep an eye on the promotions that are coming up, special things that we're doing, special product lines, you know, because a lot of the design department is doing a lot of the saving of our stuff that's in our main line and all the things that go into that and the marketing campaigns. I sort of can at least have some sort of comfortability that it's being saved and we can go through it at some point, mm-hmm. but I'm really trying to collect a lot of the sort of stuff that's kind of one-offs and special and is going to be gone, so I have to kind right. of budget my time and resources that way. How many people work under you? So I work with, well, in the if we're talking about the archive specifically, Yeah. Uh, one, really a half, because it's a part-time intern. Okay. So, of course, when Allie was here, she did the work of, you know, five days. And I believe days, that. So, <laughs> it's what um, I do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have an intern for 24 hours a week for three days a week. Okay. Um, and that changes, too, every semester. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, fortunately, just so you all know, it is a paid internship that happens every semester. Um, <laughs> Good. Always looking for quote, new quality candidates. Uh, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's that that's tough because mm-hmm. even if you have somebody, like even when Allie comes in, she has all the skill archival skills, but, like, you don't know, she didn't know about Carhartt. Right, the institutional know knowledge, it. yeah. It's the institutional knowledge that... Say, for example, with a company like, say, Ford, you could at least go out and read a lot of books about it. You know, there's books about there to at least get some grounding in the history. But with Carhartt, you know, the book will be out there when I decide to write it. I was going to say. To, to do it, you know. So it's there's not a lot of ready material to go know about the company. So even if an intern or somebody coming in wanted to prepare you know, I'm, and, and that sort of is also another unique portion of my job is I've become the only one who knows a lot of Right, stuff. the educator as yeah. well as the yeah, archivist. Yeah, so I, you know, walking down the street every day hoping you don't get hit by a bus because <laughs> all, that, all that information is gone. Well, but I know. think that that's, I think that's reflective in part of the problem that exists right now is that there's no, I think that first off, a lot of people don't know that the archive exists. And then second, 
you know, it's not in a space where you're able to screen researchers to mm-hmm. have researchers come in. So that in the in the instance that someone else besides you wants to write the book of the Carhartt history, it's not easily accessible because there is no space for them to Right. Do. It's the space to do the research, the time, my time to assist mm-hmm. them and mm-hmm. pulling things and, and serving the reference function. Um, you know, the, a lot of that is really, you know, that's to, you know, and, and then you scope that and you plan for it. Right. And you okay. hope, you know, and that's that's part of the space that we're putting together. You know, mm-hmm. I've built in that I've really, you know, when it comes to fighting for space, too, in a corporate headquarters, that's also a, a interesting thing. Right. But... You know, I mean, any place. I mean, at our the library yeah, I anywhere. work at, we they built it ten years ago, and they put in a special local history room, and we're still looking at it now today, saying, "Well, they didn't put this in that we needed, and now we really need it. How are we gonna get these locked cabinets that no one can open mm-hmm. except librarians or the chief librarian, that kind of stuff?" And she was like, "I wanted the shelves wider to fit, you know, odd shaped books or objects," and she wasn't given those things, so yeah. it's like a compromise. Yeah, it's that, and it's really, like, the space, too, you know? I, I kept, you know, you keep fielding questions that's like, well, how much stuff do you have uh-huh. right now? And you're like, I don't even want to give you that number because it needs, yeah. no matter what I say after that, that's what, you know, you're going to base the space stuff on. And I'm not, I mean, our architects are absolutely great. I'm not saying they would have done that. I'm just, you know, you always have that mindset. Right, and it's hard. It's such a niche field like archiving and understanding what kind of space you're going to need what space you need now yeah the hvac system Mm -hmm. people just don't understand that until they've learned about it yeah and i think i think you know the biggest thing for me in the corporate environment was to put it across as you're going to have a better space both kind of visually and space-wise to not only have the ability say for a researcher to come in and be able to have a place to work and do stuff but also for the company, mm-hmm. you know, you can bring a VIP in here now. You can bring a vendor, and you can bring in a, a you know, some some big wig from some company we're trying to collaborate with right. or something, and you can impress them with this space, and you can also impress them with the fact that you know we're taking care of it properly. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're doing things the way they should be, and so that you know, I've I've gotten a lot more involved in SAA and MAC and MAA to. It's this kind of self-perpetuating thing where, you know, you're, you can consistently talk to your superiors about how you're like, oh, we're well represented in these archival organizations and it's, you know, it's showing we care about our history. And so then that leads nicely to like, well, we need to, you know, we need to continue to take care of things properly and, and have the facilities we need and all this because, you know, we're, we're visible now in the sort of corporate history, corporate archives world. Right. So we want to do things the right way. And Especially in the shadow of Henry Ford and some sure. of these other organizations sure. that are really big in Metro that are Detroit. Known, yeah. known for history. I mean, right. you have, with Ford, you have two, two, you know, you have the company's archives and you have the Henry Ford. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge, huge thing. So I think we've, we've got our own little piece that we're building that, you know, I want to make very impressive and have it be something that people can come in and see and be impressed by and be inspired by because the company has a really great story. It's just not, we try to keep putting it out piece by piece, you know, between both myself and interns like Allie writing articles for our website and, you know, trying to just trying to bridge the gap of a corporate archive and one especially that doesn't have a great space for people to come in and do things, you know, where you're just battling, not battling, but really, you know, that kind of conception of like, 
corporate archives and corp, you know it's just for the company and it's oh, yeah. you know you always have that kind of conception and it's it's I get it believe me I mean our number one stakeholders are the business mm-hmm. but I try to do everything I can to to make some of it visible externally right. and I do help I mean people hit us up in our customer service department all the time mm-hmm. with a picture of their old jacket or something oh, okay and they either just want to tell us about it and when they bought it or they might have bought something at a thrift store that they want to know more about. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I say I'm working on something for a senior VP or something that will probably take precedence, but I don't, those don't get pushed off my table. Like I don't, right. I mean, those, I always make sure to respond because I really want people to know, you know, to, to have a window into the history of the product that they're wearing on, mm-hmm. their, on their back or that they a cool thing they bought at a thrift store that they just want to know more about. Yeah. Unless it's something I want, then I tell them that it's worthless and they should probably just donate it to me. So. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's a fine. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you be interested in donating that? To the Might as well archive. give it back. We'll give, you a, we'll give you a hat. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess then, how did the decision come down to sort of create this archive? And then how did you get involved in this? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and one... Uh, when I get never never get sick of talking about it. So my, my first my first boss um, when I first started working here, um, her name's Cheryl Poloni. Shout out to Cheryl. <laughs> um, she is the um, executive administrator for the you know for the executive team for the top people here for the president and the CEO and um, our CEO who's our you know family descendant of the original founder of the company and everything. Um, and she was the one who always had to be the one going to literally dig in the closet for, you know, when when something was, somebody was asking about something historical, everybody knew that there was this locked, you know, locked and pretty good condition, not, you know, not, not too, uh, not too bad, not in a basement with dripping water or anything, you know, it was stuff in, actually in boxes, so, you know, it was actually a pretty nice thing to come into, but she was the one that had to go dig in there for the historical information they were looking for. So pouring through those old correspondence, pouring through the old catalogs that were kept, all those things. And the 125th anniversary was approaching in 2014. Yeah. Um, and there's a saying, you know, there's kind of an, uh, an old old saying in corporate archives that, you know, usually your, your archive was either created by an anniversary or a legal case. So <laughs> <laughs> luckily uh, we were the former. But, um, so of course, and of course in typical corporate fashion, all of this started coming together during the year of the 125th anniversary, so. Yeah. But basically she was amazing because she went out and, and lobbied for it before I was even involved in the company. She bent the ear of the top people and of other senior leadership and said, at the very least, we need someone to come in and, you know, we need, we need to have this stuff like in an inventory, you know, in a in a, you know, in a finding aid, so to speak, for the stuff. You know, we just need something to be able to not have to go digging through it every time, to know what we have and, you know, also know what we're missing. So, you know, it was her who fought for that and um, eventually was able to secure, you know, the money to, on contract, bring in a resource to come. Okay. Come, do, basically inventory everything. Uh, yeah. Get a, get a giant spreadsheet of everything that was in there and somebody with, you know, with archival, archival chaps. So that was kind of how it all started. Yeah, I'm shaking my head because on my internship right now, they have, they have an archive, but this is a vertical file in the library. And they had this spreadsheet, which wasn't horribly organized, 
like it was fine, but you just couldn't use it. And if you want, if you had a researcher come in and they wanted to find something, there was nothing. There was no finding aid esque thing for them to look at. And so that's what I've been doing is going, you know, I moved some stuff and made it so you can actually move the files inside the mm-hmm. filing cabinet yeah. and pull things oh, out. Yeah. I made a mark. Today I made mark your place uh, bookmarks so that sure. if you pulled a file, you could put it back yeah. where it went. Yeah. But how, with something that must have been much larger than what I'm looking at, how did you deal with that? Did you just say, okay, this today we're going to look at this box and try to figure out what's in it or... Yeah, no. Just just imagine a closet full of papers like Scrooge McDuck's, uh, uh-huh. you know, in in Ducktales. And I just dove in, you know. Wow. Like, no. <laughs> That's, oh, I thought I'd get more of a there's trouble. There's live footage. No, I'm just thinking about how. No, it was it was you daunting. Know, I, that would be. It was. I was lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, there was there were boxes that had at least some semblance of labeling of generally what was in them. Sure. I mean, I didn't come in to just kind of. A lot of the horror pictures you see of, of places where you know you sort of just have like binders like over, overflowing out of a box and spilling out all over the floor right. or something. So, you know, for for me it was yeah we, we tackled it in stages. So I also have to give another shout out to um, Nicole Savota who was my coworker at that time. Um, she actually was the first archivist at Carter because I was gallivanting around Europe when the contract started. So she was <laughs> she was here before I was. Um, and she, um, she and I, we just kind of, you know, we had created a, a spreadsheet with metadata fields and all the key information we wanted to grab. Um, it was contract, so we were, of course, trying to wow the company a little bit, so it was actually a little bit more excessive than it needed to be at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, because we also had to capture a lot of the information that wasn't so much just, like, what is this? But also, should we keep this? Should mm-hmm. we digitize this? Should you know what do we need to do to preserve it? Because really, it wasn't so much like if I came across something that needed preservation work in that first stage, I wasn't doing it right then. Right. I was just putting it back where it came from, putting it back on its shelf, and you know, then all the decisions were made after that. But now stage. you knew it was there. Yeah, you knew it was there. So essentially, that's what I what I did is we really just took it box by box. We had come up with our initial idea of like series and sub-series. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, that was functional with the company. So we would keep design, you know, product design materials together, marketing materials together, sales materials together, and then we would sort of split off things like photos and multimedia that kind of needed to be stored on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so we came up with this rough idea of what we thought, you know, what we thought sort of the structure should be for the archive which is kind of how we had to start because we had to put them in some sort of category. Yeah. So we did that um, and really just went through everything and did an inventory of it and then started the process of rehousing everything. Okay. Um, which sort of, because of the demands on my time, kind of ended with the key stuff mm-hmm. and a lot of the other stuff didn't get put into proper things. Some of it still isn't. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that Allie that did. backlog. A lot of that Allie did when she was here helping us move. So... Okay. You know, uh, I will just take an aside to say that some of the most foundational things that I reference every day in what I do here have been created by the interns here. Mm. Like, I would be nowhere without the internship program because when you're constantly being pulled into things to, like, kind of talk with 
upper leadership about how to include the history in a presentation they're working on or, yeah. or you know, I know it sounds like I'm complaining. I'm not. I mean, but it's fun. I love it. I'm more of a big picture kind of guy. I mean, yeah. I love doing archival work. You know, I love doing the nitty gritty stuff, but I also kind of like now that I'm in a position where I'm more like kind of thinking about strategy, sort of how to, to use a real businessy word, like yeah. how to activate historical uh, material with the company. Wow. Um, so the you know when it comes to digitization, when it comes to rehousing, when it comes to organizing, when it comes to processing backlogs, like that is my interns who just kick butt on mm. that stuff, and it I would be nowhere without without them. So. And you started as did you start as an intern at a third party that got the contract? And yeah, then- well, I was working for a third you know a third party that um, basically I had I had left a job um, working in programs at the Henry Ford at the oh, okay. museum. Um, because I was I was looking at museums and history and things and I actually didn't decide to go into archives until I was already in my MA history okay. program. Okay. And I was looking at, you know, I was majoring in modern European history and I was looking at That's what I do too. Nice. There <laughs> we go. Look at that. Yeah, I'm a weirdo too in the in the archives world. I mean not super weird. There's other people like me, but you know, I have the I have the MA in history yeah. and then the archival certificate, so right. I don't have an MLIS. Okay, so, yeah. you know, it's kind of a, a, usually you have, like, you know, either all three or you have the MLIS and the archival certificate. All three over here. Yeah, all three. All three. Two, yeah, two, two all threes in here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, bad respect, because I did not have the, <laughs> I did not have the follow-through to do all three, so... So really it was, you know, I was going into my MA and I saw at Wayne that you could do archival administration as a minor mm-hmm. instead of another subject area. And I was like, oh, like that would be kind of cool to to have knowledge of that side of things. And then I started going, taking those classes. I mean, I took intro to archives and I was just like, this is amazing. But Dr. Jones? Uh, actually, I had um, Dr. Trevini. Oh, I really wanted to so, give a shout out. Yeah, to Dr. Jones. Yeah. But I have worked with that. I will give a mad shout out to Dr. Jones because I used to do. Good. Um, All right, great. I used to do. I used to present for his um, intro class. Oh. Yeah, yeah. With with the had the panel of people working in different jobs yeah. and things like yeah. that. Well, yeah. Well, we actually at the at the third party I worked at, they used they had their own stuff stored and whatever, and I used to bring the class out there. Oh yeah, so I remember I would doing do that. A presentation. Oh, I do recall that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I would do a presentation for them to talk. Because, you know, I had a weird... And we can talk about that if you want, but I had kind of a weird, you know, circuitous path to the archives world. So right. I, they well, were always interested to sort of hear the weird ways that you could end up working. In I do want to hear why you chose to both veer... Like, to veer off the traditional historian path. Like I just developed a love for archives, really, in that class. You know, and it wasn't... I mean, Dr. Dreen was an amazing teacher... And it was just an exposure to a world that had existed, like, behind the world that I knew mm-hmm. that I just never thought about. I mean, you always knew it was there. Right. How do I research primary resources? How right. do I do these things? Like, Yeah, that's how like, I felt, too. In my methods, history, master's methods class, like, I went to the Ruther and did, but, like, in my head, I'm not thinking about, like... How does all this stuff get here? Mm-hmm. Who organizes the things? You know, oh, there's this person here who comes and pulls my material, finds it and pulls it for me. Like, you know, what is? How did they get there? Like, it just never really went in my head. And, and um, so when I when I took intro to archives, I just was sort of exposed to just like 
the idea is, you know, all the principles and arrangement and just, you know, d the properly describing things. And, you know, it just, it's so nerdy, but I mean, hey, we're I'm in good company, right? That's right, so, yeah. <laughs> um, it just spoke to me a lot more than, I think I had just gotten burned out on writing, mm -hmm. which is really funny because then, of course, later on I had to write my thesis. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's, I'm approaching that. You've already finished. Allie's finished, but I have one more year left. Yeah. And I'm approaching that, that right now. Okay. Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> we can uh, talk about it off mic. Yeah. The short story would be it was the only time in my life I've ever had a panic attack. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, um, God. But really, it was, yeah, it was that class, and it was being exposed to that side of things, and it just, it just spoke to me more than... Plus, you Being can, a, you know, going on track to be a professor. Well, it's a job. Like, whether you're library science or you're getting a, a certificate or minor in archives, that's a job title, librarian, archivist. Sure. Historian is more yeah. fluid it's, and a concept, mm -hmm. you know, and you can call yourself one, and, you know, I wouldn't take that away from anyone, especially with a graduate degree. But Yeah, I think that you'll find more people, because I know, too, who... Like who their job title literally is historian, but they're at mm -hmm. museums, and, right. and I think that you don't see that as much in an academic setting as you do in a more traditional museum sense. And right, and they probably have some other certifications or have done trainings or gone to other things to get. No, Allie's like, no, never mind. All right, no, it's I back mean, it up. You see it. Back it up. <laughs> you see it. You know, you see it used. I mean, pretty liberally sometimes the word historian. Well, and, yeah. that's, and that's the thing is, I think that you'll see a greater trend in the profession moving away from historian because there's a, a bigger push of people. And this isn't to say anything about you know the everyday person who's really interested in historian, but I think more academically trained people are moving away from the term historian because they don't want to be sidled in with the same people who call themselves a historian and then produce books that are then disproved and then right well on that path. The most famous and most most best-selling books on histories, especially United States or histories, written are written by, by journalists. Yeah. Not, I mean, yeah. they might have a history background. Right. Normally, they do, but they're not historians. And you'll often hear them then, like referred to maybe in some other outlet as a historian, right? Like a and journalist then, and a historian. Yeah. You know, like I think Hidden Figures was written about. I believe she's an English teacher, and that's what it says in her bio. It doesn't say historian. Right. She's an English teacher. And I. Um, pull in speakers. Allie's going to speak um, part of my speaker series at my library, and I pull in historians, but they're, some of them work at museums, some of them volunteer at museums and have written books, but they don't necessarily have any training. They just are good at research for whatever reason, whatever they pursued, and they've made a career, they're like career public historians, kind of, mm -hmm. before this big push to have degrees in public history. So they're reenactors, they're yeah. people that have a passion yeah. for history, yeah. and somehow found a way to make money at it. And I know, you know, and it's it's another thing, too, where it's like, you know, I've had experiences, especially when I worked at the Henry Ford, you know, front line at the museum, I mean, I would work with our historical presenters who were, you know, a lot of a lot of folks who are retired and older, yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. they have worked there forever. They know oh, yeah. everything. Devour books with right. like, uh, uh, you know, so like like they read way more than I ever did even when I was in school. Yeah, you know, and I I I'm like I 
put all the faith in what you're telling right. me right now. Like I've, I've learned all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, I have no I've, problem hiring them. Yeah, it's one of these things where it does. It's very fluid. It's just, it's fluid. Yeah. It's a very fluid term. Right. Word historian to the point where, I mean, I kind of agree with you. Like I didn't feel comfortable. I wouldn't have felt comfortable having it on my title mm-hmm. here personally if I didn't have that history. Right. Ever, yeah, know? yeah. I would have just stuck with like brand archivist. Mm-hmm. You know? But because I was writing articles and doing research and that's, you know, and that's not everybody in corporate archives who has, you know, has the history background, but most everybody has to do like, you can't just be a reference, (laughs) reference archivist, you know, like, you know, the, the senior VP of marketing wants to include all this historical information about X, Y, and Z. It's not going to be like, Oh, here's, I pulled some boxes for you. Come take a look. Do your own research. It's like, no, you're the research archivist. You know, you're the researcher. You're the reference archivist. You're the, you know, you're probably the copywriter. You're probably, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably putting it into something that they can use directly in their presentation. So it's, right. it's a lot of hats. Which mm-hmm. is so funny to me because when I was at CNN, that was like, you sent them the information, but you weren't supposed to pluck it out of the sources for them. You were just supposed to mm-hmm. send them the sources and be like, the information that you're looking for is in there because that that's what they wanted to get us away from. They're like, it's not your job to write a story. Yeah. It's your job yeah. to find the resources. I, right, I, and that's totally more librarian that. side too. Yeah, yeah. And is that, you know, so at CNN, like, was there a pretty good footprint for the archive? Were people sort of aware of this process? Or so there's, it's there. I think they're changing names now. It was the library, so it was just mm-hmm. the sure. it was just the library, and then and then now it's um I think it's changing to content and information services okay. or something like that. But yeah, like I think that they had the library since it started. Yeah. I mean, because they always needed people mm-hmm. to find sources, and 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 it started off I think with less people. But there's I think there's always been people yeah. on staff. I think it's one of those things where that's, you know, I'm trending more that way. Mm-hmm. And especially now that we have um, a digital asset management system and we have historical digitized material in here, mm-hmm. in there, that was stuff that I was constantly pulling and cropping stuff out of just in images and selections and passages to send to people that I used to do so much work on. Mm-hmm. You know, now the fact that I have the dam, I can make a... You know, I put put the six things they're looking for in my cart, and I make a little link and send it to them, and they can uh, download it directly. You know, and I use copy it however, it and I go knock yourself out. Right. You know? So, you know, it, it takes away a lot of that sort of minutia that, and I think that's that's the thing that as as a program like the one here at Car like grows steam, and you become used more not just as a reference person or a content puller Mm -hmm. you become more of a resource to interpret the history and talk about the history and you know be out in public talking about it and and being you know a person who's regularly gone to by like our PR department and stuff because you know I also not half bad on mics which (laughs) you know some sometimes they just it's like pulling teeth sometimes getting people to go do some sort of press thing or something right a lot of people don't like to do that. Um, I'm a youngest child. I love attention. So <laughs> I always take every opportunity I get to do that. We're but both youngest children too, aren't we? <laughs> I'm not. You're not. I am. I'm the middle. Oh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's exciting, but it also, it it's hard. Because yeah. I love the real, you know, in the trenches archival work and 
the more, you know, and I was just talking about this last year with some other, um, especially corporate archivists. Well, I was at the business archives, so the business archives section within Society of American Archivists, they do a workshop every two years. Mm. Shout out to that. It's coming to Detroit next year. Oh, yeah. Um, we, uh, I'm pretty sure my employer's hosting. There you go. Well, okay. I'm sorry, Dave. It's going to be in our space, though. Ah, but yeah. we should. Uh, well, we're going to have part. There's going to, you know, I don't want to say too much yet, but it's going to be a cool Detroit experience. So. Yes, it'll highlight Detroit's history. We should try to record some podcasts there. Sure. But yeah, like it's it's coming, and anyway, I was there last year in Chicago, and you just find the more you talk to other people in corporate archives who have kind of you know sort of moved up that ladder or have increased the footprint of their archive and their organization. We were just all sort of commiserating about how, you know, the more sort of successful the archive gets within a company, the less time you're spending doing right. the real work that you went to school for. Yeah. You become, you know, in a good way, you become a, like a sales salesperson for the archive and for the value of history mm-hmm. within the company and within the broader context of corporate history. So, I like that side of things, personally. I love it. You know, yeah. it's it's... I wish I had more of a mix, and I tell you, I do have days that I just go, you know what? I'm gonna, we got some backlog stuff. I'm just gonna go in the back and I let process him folder and some photos, and he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's to the point with Allie, she was, she, you know, sometimes we're able, depending on availability and, and what we're doing, to keep someone on for two semesters for an internship, and Allie stayed for two semesters. So, you know, by the end, she's just, you know, I'm coming trying to do like real work, and she's like, like slapping my hand. Like, Get out of here, no, Dave. you're gonna screw up what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm in the middle of this. This isn't how we do this anymore. (laughs) And you know what? I used to micromanage. I used to be a lot more of a control freak when it came to my interns because I think it was just things were so much earlier in starting. Right. But, you know, you just, you find the right people and you just put them in the position and you just say go and you trust Mm -hmm. them and they do amazing work. Yeah. So I think it's a testament to the archival profession that rarely, you know, and to, and to Michigan and Wayne State, you know, because those are who I draw from mm-hmm. predominantly. And you just get great people and yeah. motivated people that know what they're doing. And, you know, you can just, you can just let them go. And it's really exciting to see what they do. For instance, another intern I had as a short aside, just because it's so fun, we just re- recently did this huge collaboration with Hurley mm-hmm. um, where we were doing kind of like a rugged, rugged wear for the water kind mm-hmm. of thing and a bunch of the products were camo so what we actually did was the camo that pattern that was used was actually our, our Carhartt's original camo pattern from 1972 wow. uh, the first time we ever had camo on a, on a garment and the design team and the whole thing was able to use it and create this pattern for these shorts because uh, one of my former interns um, who has had really good skills at Photoshop and loved scanning projects. She asked me if she could scan these old jackets and stuff, wow. and like in like like big flatbed scanner, like put them down in different positions and sections and scan them into a bunch of different scans, and then stitch them all together in Photoshop to create like the full pattern. Oh wow! Like seamlessly. Yeah. So when we're talking about doing vintage camos on new product. You I have know, the whole... Here's a giant dump of, 
you know, like every that sounded terrible. <laughs> We're leaving it in. Here's a, yeah, no, I wasn't gonna say that. No, here's a big batch yeah, of, there you go. <laughs> of old camo patterns. Yeah. Um, and that ends up being on the shorts. It ends right. up being, and that scan ends up being the source material for creating that pattern. That's so cool, and that brings. You know, I what is it? Archives alive. That brings it literally to life, and then you can, and the intern can go out and say, "I helped them be yeah. able to make this again." You make an impact here. I mean, at the bare minimum, you have like a. I'm doing air quotes right now. A, a published <laughs> work on yeah. our website. Right. I mean, every intern that comes here writes an article for the website. Mm-hmm. They get to pick whatever they want to do um, and write it. And what'd you, know, you write I, about? You well, have two, I think. I have two. Oh, I, wrote, well. I wrote about farming the first time. I didn't get to pick that topic. And then the second so topic, I picked the Carhartt automobile. And mm. I, I did pick that. Yes. They're very so interesting. Cool. And it had um, the, the farming one, not like the hugest hit for some reason. No, I'm just kidding. That was handed the, down from me. The so. automobile one blew up on social media. Yeah, so many people were like, uh, I didn't awesome. know that Carhartt made cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And do any exist? And, and, and it was so interesting just to see yeah. people get react. Yeah. As, yeah. A, as a quick aside, Dateline 1910, Carhartt decides they're going to make automobiles and has a car company for two years until it wow uh, goes out of until it goes out of business. There you go. Um, so yeah, and that's you know I'll just say it too. If you go to just Carhartt.com, there's a section called Discover, and then there's a history portion underneath that, and you okay. can access all of those articles. Very um, cool. But you know it's really exciting because it also I can talk to our e-commerce team and. So basically what happened was we did a like throwback Thursday post where um, our awesome social media people who love to use the historical stuff and I used to have to like twist their arms when we had, they were, you know, to like, hey, throwback Thursday, use, yes. this, use this content. Like, hey, what are we talking about this week? I can find something historical to fit with it. You know, right. I was like, you know, the little puppy dog looking for, <laughs> you know, you know, looking for his, his treat. Um, but now they, they, they come in, they go into the dam, they go into old articles and pull Does your archive have social media? We don't have social media, um, which was an interesting conversation because I was like, people seem to love this stuff. No brainer, right? And it was really the, the enlightening for me to be like, because people really dig it, we don't want to take it away from our normal feed. Mm. Okay. So that, like, potentially people that we're getting traffic from that really are just kind of maybe scrolling by the regular posts but are excited to see the historical stuff, then they'd just be following this other account. And we might not be able to get them to also then... Right. Say we then launch a product that has a History. heritage spin on it or something. Yeah. Maybe we'll get them to buy it. So okay. It was interesting. an interesting sort of marketing thing. Yeah. It is, it is tough, though, because you come up against this... You know, I have a great thing for this week, like maybe like a this day in Carhartt history thing mm-hmm. that would be amazing for today. Oh, we're, you know, we're hammering this promotion today or something, so we can't do it. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. understandable. Um, the cool thing for me, which is like totally not the case for most people in my position, is that I, they really just tell me, go, go ham on your own feed mm-hmm. if you want. Nice. Take pictures of stuff, post stuff, whatever. Okay. They know I'm not going to post like somebody's employee record. Or right. Not that I even right, have right. those things. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it was one of the things where they were just like, "Hey, man, if you want to share stuff out and hashtag us and do stuff and 
maybe we'll see it. Maybe we'll pop it up later or something. You know, we'll right. just grab the image and throw mm-hmm. it on ours later. You know, I, I think that's happened once or twice. But, you know, they, they've been really open to me just sharing stuff on my own. Okay. Because um, that's what I do a lot of work with is social media through different organizations I work with and encouraging them to use it. And I just presented at the publishing American University Presses yeah, about how they can awesome. use social media. I, I mean, it's the biggest thing. But yeah, that's why I was curious about whether the archive had its own or not. So no, we don't have our own, but we really, you know, the the more and it's just it's 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 a cycle. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the more people, the more I show people, and especially like interesting, like the car stuff, and and maybe sometimes we did some really like off the wall products that yeah. were kind of crazy and not our normal thing. Right. That maybe they didn't last, but yeah. they're still. And the more I feature those things and, and give people the knowledge outside of the basic story of the company that everybody, you know, that I basically have to regurgitate every two weeks in our new hire orientation. <laughs> excuse me, in our new hire orientation, which yeah. is fun. Yeah, yeah. Because they're all new, so even though it's the umpteenth time I've told the story, they're hearing it for the first time. Right. So that's neat. And maybe one of them will be passionate and be interested in, yeah. you know just looking out for the archive because you need to have that institutional support continued. Totally. Regardless. Totally. If someone is here now and they like it, you want to make sure people after yeah. them. And other departments right. too. Because that's the thing is that you find yourself getting into a niche of marketing, mm. you know, in a consumer products company like Carhartt, product design, um, to some extent sales because that can kind of, like, you'd be surprised. Sometimes that can kind of help our sales force if they're able to talk more about the history of the company and even of particular products of how, yeah, old, how long like they've that. been in the line and how much heritage they have. But doing things like new hire orientation or presentations that reach a larger, larger portion of the company, you can get some clout with people in IT or you can get some clout with people in accounting or, mm-hmm. you know, like the people that wouldn't necessarily have that normal business use case to come talk to you. Right. You could kind of talk to them and to the point that, you know, they'll come to me because they want to quote from Hamilton Carhartt for a presentation they're doing. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there there's any number of, of ways that the history can be used. And I've always said that. I say if you have like a project or you have something where you think the history could add something, just come to me and we'll find a way to fit it. Nice. You know? and, and I I like to think creatively like that. There's a lot of ways to use heritage that aren't, you know, exactly the thing that somebody would think of right off the top of their head. Right. We do a we do a fun trivia league now here at Carhartt in the marketing department <laughs> where we basically stole the like sporkle bar trivia rules. Yeah. Do it here. Um, and I just host it for fun. <laughs> But they did it after I left. I would have creamed everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, of course, asked me to host it because they didn't want me competing. Oh, sure, That's the thing sure. is, like, they had to find someone else because if Dave and I were both here, it would have That's been, a very like, corporate <laughs> thing, like yeah. uh, team building. Sure, yeah, thing. but it's, like, fun. And, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's Carhartt, so, you know, we have a few beers while we do it. Too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, there's one of those things where... It's just general trivia. It's just a bar trivia kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting, you know, I'm doing a thing where, and this was, people were asking for this. Hey, can you do one question every time that's like a Carhartt history question? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. people want it. Like they're That's awesome. They're excited about it, and it gets them, you know, I think history, and, and most corporate historians and archivists would agree with you, that history is the biggest thing, you know, one of the biggest things you can do as as team building, as mm. as a as a unifying factor, you know, and I think with us, 
it's the essence of we have production here in the U.S. You know, so we have a whole supply chain of factories and distribution and everything in the U.S. that's separate. It's mostly in Kentucky and Tennessee and separate from our corporate headquarters here in Dearborn. We have a bunch of factories that we own in Mexico. Um, we have, uh, you know, people kind of all over the globe. We have a European office. Mm. We have retail stores all over the country. So you have a lot of these disparate parts of the business. And especially in supply chain and stuff, it's like, you know, you, you start to feel there's a disconnect. You yeah. feel disconnected from the headquarters and the top people and the, you know, the new plans and the new, you know, all this. So, you know, we like to feature the history and, and it's a great connecting thread to bring people together from different parts of the company to be unified. And one of my favorite stories when it comes to our, you know, the way history has affected other associates that work for the company is um, a lot of these towns in Mexico where we have our own, we own the, we actually own the factories there and everything. And They've helped really like, I mean, these cities are like Carhartt towns. It's amazing. It's like, love the brand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a huge, they're huge factories. So they employ a ton of people. Um, and, you know, they, every year, our associates there on Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. they, you know, of course, they do shrines and things for relatives and all this. They do one for Hamilton Carhartt every oh, year wow. at the factories. And they have a picture of Hamilton and they have, all, you know, the whole kind of, you know, traditional shrine and it's amazing and so a year or two ago I got hit up by them with an archival request um, I had to contact my friend in HR because unfortunately I don't speak Spanish so yeah. she kind of had to help me interpret the request but basically they wanted to know if I knew what Hamilton's favorite foods were oh wow to, like, the offering part of the display yeah um, so I really I dug into some stuff and, and turned up some stuff I sort of knew was there but I had never really read it in depth and right because that's not a question you get every no, day <laughs> no and there's part of some of these newsletters where he talks about how kind of he's kind of, he was kind of a health nut so okay. he liked like nuts and fruit and all <laughs> this kind of so I was kind of reading you know I gave him some of the things that were on the list and they sent me pictures and then wow it, it was so cool and um that really excites me, and I think, I think it's one of the things that helps. People are so interested in your our European division. Mm-hmm. So interested. We have a division that started. Well, it's actually a licensee that started in the '80s in Europe. But some people might be familiar with. It's called Car Work in Progress, mm-hmm. and it's actually an entire licensee of the brand that makes like streetwear. Like Carhartt skate and streetwear. Okay. So they take the kind of classic Carhartt look and they adapt it for like hip kind of streetwear and yeah. the younger crowd and do a lot of stuff with hip hop artists and you know all this kind of stuff. So which is really neat. But that was what was always around in Europe since like the eighties. And our European division of Carhartt, the workwear company, has only recently kind of really grown our business in Europe mm-hmm. to the point we just launched a website over there. All this. So you have all of this brand confusion where people are uh, coming to our site going, but like, where's all this skatewear? And right. people who are looking for workwear end up going to the work in progress site and going like, well, this isn't what I was looking for. <laughs> so for them, the history has been really important okay. to publicize and help differentiate the two sides of the brand. Yeah. Because they really have to educate the public on there are kind of two car art. I mean, it was... You know, one brand, two labels, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, each is kind of for a different purpose. And right. so the history has been really important to them. So it's, it's kind of, it's just weird the way you see it sort of serpentine its way into all of these other 
places that the history can be beneficial. So you said that when we were talking about acquisitions and finding things mm-hmm. to establish the archive, what's the coolest, weirdest far thing from the farthest away, whatever you want to say? Do you want the coolest thing, the weirdest thing, or the thing from the furthest away? All three <laughs> uh, well, that you found maybe on yeah. eBay or somewhere where we wouldn't have sure. expected you to find it. Sure, totally. Oh, boy, that's fun. <laughs> um, well, the coolest thing, in my opinion... Um, was something that was actually brought to me. Um, So we have, our design department works with, and this is a a thing in a lot of clothing companies, they work with these sort of clothing headhunters where the design department will be thinking about what they want to do two, three, four years out, you know, different styles or different things they're looking to improve or whatever. So they'll let these sort of vintage searchers know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, among all these things, one of the one of the people that our design department works with, um, they had also told them, I think, I don't think I was even part of this. I think they just said on behalf of me, like, oh, and keep an eye out for old, you know, old car art stuff, too. Yeah. Because we're building our archive, and, you know, he's always looking for stuff. And so it was nice to know. It, you know, warmed my heart, of course, that they were thinking of me. Um, but I, they came to do a big thing where they were showing off a bunch of stuff they'd found to our design department. They like bring a kind of a collection, and then our design department can buy whatever they want to use their inspiration. It's like Devil Wears Prada. It's crazy, and it's cool. Yeah, like, I want half this stuff just for my own closet. But <laughs> um, so anyway, I had always had an extreme shortage of anything but clothing. So we had made accessories for years. We'd done hats. You know, I had a lot of the old like railroad caps, but anyway, back in like the teens and twenties, we did gloves. And they were these amazing like gauntlet gloves with the big, you know, kind of they have the look of like of an old, old like gauntlet that a knight would wear, but yeah. like a leather version of it. And and um, so they come in and they're said, Oh, we found some gloves, and I'm thinking, ooh, gloves, you know, and I go in and they're these beautiful black leather gauntlet gloves um, and then on the inside this you could still see the printed old um, heart logo that we had back in the day with the script Carhartt written across it and all okay that stuff. they were still in like amazing shape um, so they you know it was just it was my favorite because it was something that was such a huge gap mm-hmm. in the collection yeah and we do all sorts of gloves and things now it's a huge part of the accessories business that we do so Having an example of that from back in the day was freaking super cool. Um, so that's just like that's like a nerdy thing for me of of sort of the best thing okay. that, that I found. Um, what was the next one? Weirdest. Weirdest. Weirdest thing. I think the coolest thing in the collection. Yeah. Yeah. Of the garments is uh, the Rosie the Riveter jumpsuit. Ooh yeah, it's pretty cool. That would be real. They need really to bring cool. it back. Yeah, because it's so cute. Like yeah. it, like you, you'd see it and you'd be like, "Whoa!" Just from like the history, but then you're like, "Hmm, I'd, I'd wear that. That's really cute." Yeah, and we like, had a big demand for those when we did because we were, um, we were like the key sponsor of the last rally mm-hmm. they did for the Rosie the yeah. World Record. Because um, like, the short story was we were doing we were doing our first commercial for exclusively for women's products. So we've done commercials before where we had a women's product in the commercial. Mm-hmm. We've never done a commercial that was solely just for our women's line. So the first time we did that a couple of years ago, we had done a bunch of stuff recently that was history related and we recreated old history scenes and remade some old clothes. And so it was like, well, we want to do that with the women's thing because we really, 
We our first women's clothing was produced in 1917, which is pretty uh, crazy. Yeah. Um, I didn't even I had no conception when I came in like and started researching it that it would be that old, but we really came of age during World War II when the demand was so high for workwear for women because mm -hmm. of all these women coming into the workforce that um, we started making women's coveralls. And so anyway, we we decided oh well we want to feature that in this commercial. So we actually worked with a group of sort of rosy fanatics and had some some um, some women come and dress up as it and we worked with the Yankee Air Force and used their B-17 mm -hmm. to shoot the commercial and it was amazing um, and then we got involved with the the rally um, that they were doing to break the world record yeah yeah most rosies and you know we went in and we put money in and then in the end we ended up being the key sponsor and Nice. You know, had a booth, and I came out with historical stuff and the coveralls we used in the commercial, and um, it was amazing. And yes, there was constantly women go, where can I buy those? Where can I buy those? Right. Where can I buy those? Um, to the point that there were a few that we actually provide. There was there was uh, some of the ones that were in the commercial because they didn't actually get to keep the ones from the commercial. We sent them fabric and a pattern. Okay. <laughs> so, that's cool. So yeah, but it's yeah, it's really exciting, but. Um, yeah, that's a really that's a really good one, and all the material related to that too. Yeah, you know that era of the company, and that's a really cool one too. The weirdest stuff, I'm trying to think of like like the sort of coolest weirdest clothing is an entire line we did in the early '90s, which was southwestern wear. Um, <laughs> Don't let him fool you though; he really likes it, and it oh, is I really it. stylish. They it. could bring it back today, and you'd never it. notice that it was. Yeah. Maybe the stuff's really expensive on eBay, so, like, I can't afford to buy it for myself. Like, I can only afford to buy it through, like, our acquisitions budget right. from the archive. And then, of course, you have that ethical dilemma of, do I do I take something out of the archive and wear it around for the day? Like, <laughs> just as long as I don't eat any buffalo wings or, you know... He's like, I can't go out to lunch soy, today, soy I'm not sauce. eating. Yeah, <laughs> I want to get Thai food on my uh, archival clothing. But, <laughs> but I have done that, you know. Yeah. Things that I love, I wait... A lot of times what I do is I, I buy it and I get it for the archive and it's in the archive. And then I keep an eye out for it on eBay for another one. Ah, yeah. And then essentially I'll buy that one then with my own money and then whatever, whichever one is in better condition is the one that I'll keep in the archive. In the archive. And then the other one I take and I order for myself. Because <laughs> so. I love the stop. Yeah, That's yeah. another thing that, that I'm really lucky to have is to be working for a company that I dig the style and mm -hmm. getting 50% off new clothing is pretty awesome there you situation. Go. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've always said somebody like, you know, somebody will say to me, Oh man, you've really, you really drank the Kool-Aid, huh? And I'll be like, uh, dude, I did a, a you know, a beer bong of the Kool-Aid. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't just drink it. I chugged it. So, you know, it's, and, and then it's, it allows you to be more, you know, you're just, you're passionate about it. Right, well, right. And, and I think I think I was just lucky to to fall into that situation. Mm -hmm. like I, you know, I think uh, I think some sort of higher power every day for kind of falling into this. Yeah, and you enjoy it, and it's mm -hmm. interesting every day too. Because it was, it was kind of just ha it. You know, a lot of ways it sort of just happened. Yeah. Ended up here, so you know. <sighs> Everyone always says that. <laughs> it's good, though. We're trying to give people advice. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I do have an advice-related question. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Sure. So Please. what advice would you offer? Because like, we just had a friend who graduated who also did the history, but then the archival certificate. So what sort of advice would you offer to people who do that, who choose that path, who don't get the MLIS? Yeah. I think the, I think the you know... 
good of advice this is, but you know, I just feel like I get the impression as become I've become more involved in the corporate world um, of history and archives is that you know, there's not as much it's not as dogmatic about what yeah. degree you need and what thing you have to have and and you know, I think there's I think there's a lot more opportunity on the side of sort of um, getting involved with a company that wants to get a better conception of their history mm-hmm. wants to work in it. You know, I, I'm always I'm always like selling corporate history and corporate archives, but it's an it's an exciting branch because a lot of times it's people just they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. They know that heritage is becoming more important, you know, for especially for younger consumers. Right. So they just know, like, we want to include it in some way. And so they're generally just looking for somebody who's history-minded, who's organized, you know, who's able to take advantage of what sort of materials they may have to, to do that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, different companies that do, like, consulting and stuff like that. And that's, unfortunately, the Catch-22 of this world is that it's rife with contract work, consulting work, mm-hmm. where there's really no guarantee that it's going to become something that's permanent. So, right. Um, I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to give advice about that. Cause I just sort of, I don't know. I mean, I we could talk about how I got into this job, but it was sort of an interesting, I think you kind of did it. But I always say that because people always ask me and, like, I feel really lucky because I'm one of the few who came out with a job. Yeah. And I always say it to people is it's a it's a combination of things. It's because I had been out there getting my hands dirty. Yeah. That made me the perfect candidate to be, you know, at, at the right place at the right time here to then have, you know, something open up. And then it was all just a thing. But I tell yeah. people, I'm like, you know, I get that there's a big push now to have everything be paid. But sometimes the stuff you're going to learn from the most isn't paid. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that, you know, working at the Detroit Public Library, I was not paid. But that's where I learned the most that I've learned in most situations is that was, like, the building block. Like, that was the foundation upon which I built my house. And so I'm like, get out there and get your hands dirty because we just did the practicum class. And people in there were like, that was the first time I've ever been in an archive you're about to graduate with an archival certificate mm-hmm. and you've never been in an archive. Well, are, are yeah. you serious? Yeah. Like, no. And I think, you know what you kind of, I'm glad that you said that. Cause that kind of, that elucidated for me. And I think that's, that, that is it. I don't know at this point in my career, I don't know what I'm still using that I learned in a classroom. I was going to ask yeah. you that question. So no, no, seriously, because I mean, you know, the, the base, you know, like intro to archives, that's like the 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 the, the ideas of processing, arrangement, yeah. script, like the foundational things that go into the archiving profession. Those are the things that I just needed to get a grounding in. Sure. And everything that I have done, I came into Carhartt, no ex- no previous experience in corporate archives, no previous experience with textiles and clothing, mm-hmm. no previous experience specializing in really. I hadn't really specialized in anything. Most of the right. projects that I had worked on. I don't think most archivists do until they get into no, a job, no. and then they. And I don't. And I don't even now. I mean, I, I certainly the bulk of my collection is clothing, but it encompasses everything. Right. And that's the thing too that you 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 come into a lot of times in this world is is you know or just in the archives world in general that 
you know, you, you have a lot of schooling about like, well, this is this is what archives are, and this is what collections are, and this is what this records is, and management, this is what that and, is, yeah. and you know, the real reality of it is, is the what's the Wild West, you right? Know, I deal with every different medium of you know when I was doing the initial phase of this project I was dealing with every different medium you could deal with on a daily basis so So when you're looking for resources for let's say travel back to when you didn't know anything about textiles let's say so did you find resources through the organizations that you joined did you just go online to look for resources I know a librarian just showed me I think like a website you could it was very inexpensive, and you could get training on different librarianship things that maybe you didn't learn in class. Mm-hmm. Like cataloging, for example, doesn't really, you don't really have to do cataloging in library science to get your degree. But, and a lot of times in libraries, you don't even have to catalog yourself. There's a whole team, if you're at a big library, that does it. But maybe you want to know about it, mm-hmm. so you could go on this website. Yeah. So, have you been doing, do you do trainings for yourself? Do you go to just going to organizational meetings? Yeah, I go to, you know, I, I would do like webinars and things like that that would come on through. I mean, I do a lot of the stuff I do is through SAA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I mean, their website in itself was just a huge resource for Yeah, me. yeah. They also have some great resources related to growing like a corporate archive mm-hmm. because there is such a strong business archives perfect, uh, group within that. But aside from that, it was all the resources on textile preservation or just books that I would buy and read, right. um, you know, that just had to do with, like, conditions where, you know, people would walk into the archive and they would be, like, you know, to give someone a tour and every time I wanted to show them something, I had to take out of an, a garment bag. And mm-hmm. they're like, why is everything, every single thing in here is in a garment bag? And I go, because it's not climate control. It's not, it's right. not a safe space. So I bugs, people. Well, right, bugs. yeah. I mean, my previous space, you know, and again, this isn't me, like, dogging on anybody. It's just the reality of where you have where they where, where you they started have space from. to put stuff right. too, you know, was a lot of my stuff was in kind of a cage in a garage that was had big opening doors that would open up to for the shipments to come mm-hmm. in and stuff, you know. So in the summer it was heat, it was, you know, bugs every once in a while, it was that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was bag everything, um, do everything I possibly could to mediate it knowing that I was fighting for a better situation. Right. And it came, you know, and, and I think me being able to say, come in here, come in this garage, you know, because there was actually one summer where, like, the, they hadn't even turned the HVAC on in there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, come in here. And it's, like, hot as hell. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, do you think this is good for, you know, for uh, clothing that's 100 years old? Like, does this seem like the kind of place you'd want to store it, you know? Right. So you you, you kind of saw, you know, I didn't I didn't do it with that sort of a, you know, like that much of an angle. But, <laughs> but like... Um, I wouldn't blame you, though. Well, you know, you just, you educate. And it's not, yeah. and it's never, it's it's not a maliciousness. It's a, it's a, not, it's a lack of knowledge. I'm it's sure a, it was more like... Oh, yeah, that um, makes sense. It's a little human, come here, um. It's yeah. a human. It's a human. It is. Do you um, feel it? So when you're, but it's education. Yeah. It's just educating people on that fact, you know, because a lot of normal people, you know, you leave stuff in your basement for years, your right. attic, or you yeah. just yeah. think you got it stored away. But got to get those furs into storage for right. sure. Well, and for I, sure. I think too, it's it's like you know, textbooks are so expensive. Yeah. Like they're so expensive, but sometimes you do, you should have that book, like um. For example, if everyone goes to the archival program and never takes the AV class, the audiovisual class, I think that that's a waste, first off. You should take that class. 
But second, you should buy that book. I have that book. You should absolutely buy that book because I have never been in a place and not seen someone have that book. Yeah, and the the yellow archival book from Intro. Yeah. Book. <laughs> the, okay, Lauren's got it. Um, she and I have them both on our desks. You can just take hers because okay. mine's over at my. Well, you queue. guys, ha- and because you guys, like, I, I think it was for me. It was I didn't really have. I really don't have much of an AV collection. So. Right, right, and that's the thing. And, and Ford so, has a huge AV collection. Exactly, so. and that might be something though, as you begin to develop your AV yeah, collection, that you totally. purchase that book because you are an SAA member, and I think they're like twenty bucks. Sure. So. Well, wow. Carter paid for it. Right. Well, that's what I mean. But it, but that book is the. The AV book that I yeah. it's the AV Bible, Bible and, it, yeah. and it's yeah. and I, that's what I say to people is it's like you know what do some research on the book attached to your class because I'm as guilty as anybody I'm not paying that much money for that book that I can get yeah, in the library or, but some of the books you will see everywhere and yeah. if you see and it you everywhere, go back and buy it because you're like oh this one is actually belongs right. on my reference shelf like mine is all textile preservation Ex- and that makes sense um, and you know facilities stuff over the last year or two getting ready for this you know, right how, I, how do you I, build an archive I didn't wait I facility. knew they were remodeling that building so as soon as I found that out I tasked interns to go out and do research on facilities mm-hmm. I started talking to professional colleagues about it I mean, right. People have way more advanced stuff than I would need, even. Sure, um, but it's good and, to know what's out you know, there. So when they came in and they go, "Hey, we want to meet with you about like what's the archives going to look like." You were ready. You know, I literally come in, you know, paper in hand. Boom! Here it is on the table. Yeah, yeah. And then you shave back. I hope nobody's listening to this from <laughs> facilities department. But, it's too late now. By the time this goes no, up, you, ask, well, but you I pare think, it down. You ask yeah. for you ask for the Cadillac, mm-hmm. and you know, hopefully, you end up with the Buick. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, hopefully you don't get paired down to a to a Chevy, you know. So you know that's I'll allow it. That was such a <laughs> Well I didn't I wanted I didn't want to deride, you know. I know. That was Ford, such an a, Ford brand, a Michigan but, thing regardless of what company yes. because <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well All right. I think that that's you know, evident from you know, you can see an overcrowded space, and no one wants to walk through an overcrowded space. And so, I think we get that all the time at Ford now because the space was recently redone. Everyone walks, oh, this is so nice, yeah. and it's like, yeah, because they had to fight yeah. for like right, however many years to get you to. Uh, and the footprint that we've been able to create, like within the company, of just knowing the mm-hmm. archive is there, and and that we're a resource, and that you know, and and and. Again, I'm, I mean, I'm relating all sorts of lessons that I learned even just like last year because when I went to that workshop, one of the people that was there was Phil Mooney, who mm-hmm. was the guy who, you know, was like the father of the Coca-Cola archives yeah. and is talking about how you grow your program and how you do it. And Build he goes, an you say... museum in Atlanta. Yeah, right? <laughs> you say yes to everything. Mm. You know, you really, you, you, you can't let straight up no be in your vocabulary. And I think that's a good translation to yeah. getting into the field and mm-hmm. like and like searching any for that job. job. Yeah. And I would say that's that's super important when it comes to internships and, and any opportunity you can get to work with people. And if you know of an institution that is struggling or you know maybe a, you know I know there's some libraries that have some like archival materials mm-hmm. rolled away somewhere or, oh, yeah. or things where local you know, maybe, history rooms yeah. all over and, and you know and, that so yeah. maybe you go to them and you say I'd like to do something with it you know I'd like to work with you with this and you know the other the flip side of that well not the flip side but the, the sort of corollary to that is you know 
and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say that word that makes everybody just cringe and want to crawl into a ball, which is networking. <laughs> you know what, though? You can say that, but we were talking about, um, and I was thinking of this when we were talking about it, but archival administration class, You like you were saying, you get like a week on each topic. To me, that was intro to networking because the people that I was friends with in that class are still the people who are in who are in my network. And as we all go off and we're all getting jobs, we're still all we're all friends on Facebook. We're all networked on LinkedIn. Sure. And so those are your your people. Are we friends on LinkedIn? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll say it too. You know, and I'm speaking to the archives side of things, but you know, it's uh, organizations like. The MAA, Michigan mm-hmm. Archival Association, organizations like MAC, the Midwest Archives Conference, organizations like the SAA sections, yeah. all the individual sections. So you have the business archives section, you have a section for loan arranger. I mean, these are the ones I'm involved in. Loan arranger. Well, you know, something you might want to send Taylor to and you might want to go to is the Mid Michigan Digital Practitioners, right. yeah. too. Yeah. Because that one's, it, that one's one smaller. I mean, it's it's like MAA, and it's like for digital stuff. And sure. It's, and everyone there is so nice and so helpful. And Yeah. And it's it's going to those, getting involved in those. SAA is not some daunting thing. And mm. you can, you can there's certain, you know, and I, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I know that there's certain message boards and certain things you can do and sign up for that you don't even have to be a member. Mm-hmm. And get involved as a student because it gets more expensive when you're not a student. Yes, right. that's true. But and that's how Allie and I, I mean, we knew each other kind of, but really we got to know each other at the AHA, and that's how this podcast started. Yeah. So we went to the American Historical Association meeting because the department gave money out for people to go, and it was in Chicago, so it wasn't too bad. Right. And then uh, we got to talking, and I was like, yeah, I used to have a podcast, but I had one for like three years. So we canceled <laughs> it, and uh, Allie was like, well, we could do one. Nice. I was like, okay. I love that you guys do this. It's yeah, awesome. I like it. I can't it. tell you how many times I've like sat there thinking, like, man, I should, I should, I could do. A you could have Carhartt podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I already talked about it enough at work. <laughs> I would, I would be People interested. You have to offer to get on everybody else's podcast. There you go. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Keep talking. About well, I, you know, and I'm, I'm. It's, it's no. And here's the thing: is that like, you know, obviously, I'm talking and I'm coming across very like. You know, like I'm really selling corporate archives. But you get paid. I mean, I mean, in all honesty, in all honesty, if, it is. If I you're taking some unpaid internships for a while, yeah. or what, or you're, you know, you're working full time so you can afford your rent, but you're volunteering at a local history room, library, or yeah. something like that, you just to get your bones. I mean, I. You still eventually would like to make money from your passion, yeah. you know, or the thing that you went to school for. Yeah. So and it's a sad, it's a sad thing, and believe me, like I'm, you know, so basically, I also work with the business archives section of SAA. I'm actually the vice editor of that mm-hmm. group. And so being a leader in that group also plugs me into a lot of the discussions that are going on among the leader, you know, the leadership of the entire organization mm-hmm. across the sections and then the actual head leadership of SAA as a whole. And, you know, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs right now when it comes to pay. Right. When it comes to... For every industry. I just, you know, basically, right, yeah. I had, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to name anything specifically, but I was recently talking to a colleague who was looking to make a change um, and was going to, got offered a job with um, a pretty well-known sports organization as like a curator kind Mm -hmm. of thing. They offered him $31,000. Oh my goodness. With a job that required an advanced, you know, master's degree. And it's like, it's a sad state of affairs right now when it comes to to pay. Right. And it's, it's, it's terrible. And it's something that, 
it's I mean it's systemic to all sorts of professions like ours. Sure, teacher. Of I mean, I used to be a teacher yeah. too, so I know that too. Yeah, you know, my, like, yeah. Social workers they haven't had an increase in general pay since the '80s. Yeah. My mom was yeah. their social workers. My parents and she was looking at job postings and she's like, "That's what I made in the '80s." Yeah. These are the jobs that like work to like help families, that educate children, that that Outreach. are recording the you know that are that are keeping control of you know like 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 stewarding the history of mm-hmm. our society and they're the ones that just get tossed into the ash heap yeah. of, of you know you know well you're going to work for peanuts because this is the only job you can get you know? right so right. so I think that um, I think it's one of those things where it's it's daunting to get in the profession right now yeah and I don't want to I don't want to like. I don't want to dissuade anybody because you should do what you believe in. And that was what I did. You know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go down some other path. I, I could have, and I, right. could be, I could probably be making better money at something I hated right now, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, I hey, love the, I gave up I being a lawyer to do this, hey, and I have no regrets. Yeah, no regrets. And I have no regrets either. And I think that's that's one of the things where all, all I'll say, and, you know, this is kind of going back to the networking thing, is that, you know, like... I guess I've kind of already been up on my soapbox, but I'm going to get on it for a minute here and just say, like, because I see it all the time, and I get it, I understand, but if you, you go to a conference, you go get involved in one of these things. You go to a session, and you just, session's over, you walk right out. Oh, yeah, sure. You go to a, um, you know, cocktail hour or a reception or something, and you grab your hors d'oeuvres and your cocktail, and you stand in the corner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... I don't, I just don't, it, it never clicked to me why. Like, well, what is, you know, come here, talk to somebody. You went to a session and you were interested in what they said. Go up and talk to them after. I right. love it when I do a session or I do something and people come up to me after and they want to know more. Well, and I'll say, I think it's much easier in professional organizations, even though technically this, the AHA, for example, is a professional organization, but that's very academic and there's a lot of errors that academics yeah. oh, have and it. they don't like sure. to be approached. You know, but you make a good point. Um, so I think it's hard for that. students, especially yeah. in those and you know, and that's, I guess that's true. I think it's just a willingness to go out on a limb yeah. Yeah. and say, you know, it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's the same thing when you're like, Trying to trying to ask that person out in high school, it's like, well, you know, you you build it up. <laughs> so much experience with well, that. Well, you build it up. You you, just, yeah, you yeah. build it up into this thing where you're like, if they don't like respond or talk to me or say yes, it's or the whatever, end of like, the world. I will die. Yeah. But like, it's kind of like, well, you know, I don't know what. I mean, the maybe it's just the older you get, but I you think just so. realize yeah. that. If I'm gonna come up to them earnestly, like I was really interested in your presentation, they're gonna be so happy. I'd love to just have your card to maybe ask you about something Mm -hmm. or whatever. And the follow throughs, I I will ask people for cards, but I can't guarantee that I'll remember where I put the card or that I will ever email them. (laughs) I just think really, if you get the response, like some people get, like you know, maybe it's just an age thing. We get older and just realize like that's their problem. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. If they're, yeah. If, they're, if I'm a, like a, especially a student, like, right? I am the future of right. my profession. Like I'm, I'm way f- more confident even than I was five years ago yeah. about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then. And I think it's I've I've and you know what I've had it happen in a couple of places where I've had someone come up to me after who's interested in getting corporate archives or mm-hmm. doesn't really know anything about that side of the business or whatever, and they come up to me and like. You know, I literally have one or two people that are that are like, and, and this isn't because I'm like, oh, I'm some huge famous person, but they'll come up like, and they'll almost be like shaking a little bit or yeah, something. Yeah. I'm like, 
I want in my head, like, I don't call attention to it because I know that's going to make it even worse, but I'm like, you know, in my head, I'm like, it's all, it's all good. Like, I'm, we're all well, part of the same team. Think about the profession but, as at least the stereotype of the profession is quiet people, studious people sure, that work alone, sure. that don't, you know, necessarily interact with other people. Obviously not true. You know, and the thing I But there are some people, I think, that are attracted to it. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go... Oh, it's fine. I was just gonna say, the good way to break out of that is join a student organization. Mm -hmm. They're equally nervous. And, but the thing is, is, like, I've been in both the whole time I was there, and it's dwindling numbers. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and then you complain about how you don't know anybody in this program. Did you make an effort to know anybody in this program? Mm -hmm. Well, I got that the segue to our final question that we like to ask. A good way to meet people is to have common interests. That's true. So, what have you been reading lately for fun or work, and what have you been binge watching? Oh, man. Oh, man. You can't... can't, (laughs) Like, how much time do we have? I'm kidding. I mean, Um, a couple minutes. So, I do a thing where a lot of times I'll like binge or get into something that's like that's of course some history related yeah. and then I just like fall on this rabbit hole where I have to know everything sure and number one for me lately has definitely been um, Chernobyl I knew you were going to say that I haven't watched it yet it looked really disturbing and I couldn't get myself to watch it it is disturbing in so many ways <laughs> <laughs> and the most disturbing of which being the circumstances that sort of allowed for that happen so then I you know I go down this rabbit hole of you get some interaction with sort of the Soviet nuclear industry and all this but I'm like I want to know like from the beginning you know (laughs) so I went and like got a bunch you know I bought this book by um, I hope I'm saying his name right Adam Higginbotham that -hmm. just came out this year called uh, Midnight in Chernobyl that tells the whole story but it also has a really good intro talking about the Soviet nuclear industry because like I in school when I was in history I did like you know I did my thesis on like European colonialism in southern Africa okay in the 20th century but yeah I always had this like man if I had like if I just started taking Russian when I was like younger right. I would totally be a Soviet historian because especially industrialization Soviet mm-hmm. industrialization just fascinated me yeah so like I hadn't really had it click until I watched that show that I'm like, oh man, this is like the insane Cold War, you know, extension of this, like, where you're not just producing steel, like, you're working with nuclear power, you know, this, like, unfathomable force, so, like, I just, the the show really got me into it, and then I do this thing I always do where I read a little bit about, you know, what was right and what wasn't oh, and what yeah. they took liberties with and what all this. Do it after so, so, then, so they I can always, enjoy Oh, I always it. do it after. Yeah. I always watch everything with, you know, and in my head kind of having a grain of salt but enjoying it for the yeah. like, cinematic thing that it is. Right. And then I go read the articles and then I usually go buy a book and, you know, I'm a big, like, I'm a weird, like, a lot of people are really into all the, like, you know, um, murder stuff now and the, like, murder podcasts yeah, yeah. and, like, serial killers and I like that with, like, disasters <laughs> Like, I get fascinated with, like, both natural and, like, man-made My best friend's obsessed with planes. Yeah. She got obsessed with planes. And then, of course, obsessed. She does the same thing as you. She's obsessed with the Romanovs recently, as well as planes and plane crashes. And she had not flown a lot, and then she moved down south and then so she flew a lot home and then she got obsessed with I was like if you're flying a lot why are you reading about plane crashes the plane crash that happened over here I'm sure she knows yes I'm sure she knows about everything and she she, every time we drive to the airport Mike wants to talk about it I'm like how about you talk about it when I come home my mom my mom how about about later she texts me and she's like 
or no, we we talk on the phone almost every day. And she was my friend was like, so do you know? Did you hear about the uh, Malaysian air? And did you know? I was like, yeah, my mother told me. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk. I'm also really into Lost right now. No, oh no, no. <laughs> All right, Allie, what have you been Spoiler. reading or watching? Uh I'm still watching Parenthood. Okay. All right. I still think that Lauren Graham's character is a trash bag. Yeah. I miss... Between you... I miss Lorelai. And Sierra and my other friend, I get so many text messages about television because I watch a lot of television and people can just text me about it. Then I'm reading this book called uh, Lost Connections by Johan Hari and it's about depression and what causes depression. Okay. I'm an armchair expert. Okay. Oh, I have a real quick, and I have another book I have to mention too because um, I went on an amazing tour during the MAC conference. Um, It was a walking tour through uh, Black Bottom and Paradise Valley mm-hmm. with um, the Black Scroll History Network. They do a tour, so check them out if you want a cool tour. But he told me this amazing story, and the book is called I've Got a Home in Gloryland, and it's an amazing story about um, um, es- escaped slaves who mm. ended up in Detroit. And I mean, I don't want to give like anything away, because literally as this guy was telling us the story like on the street, and the tour actually took place the morning of opening day, so that was a lot of fun to be on a <laughs> history tour as like drunk people are stumbling all around you. <laughs> but like, we're all standing there like, and then what happened? You know. <laughs> so it was a it was slaves that had escaped from the south and and through Detroit, and there's yeah. this whole story. I it's called I've Got a Home in Glory Land. Okay, it is riveting. I've like had a problem of Chernobyl coming on TV and then I got interested in that. So now I'm like doing that thing. I don't know if you guys have ever done where you kind of go like between two books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should start my own podcast, Between Two Books. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> where I'm like so interested in something else that I'm already like peeking into that book. <laughs> like, oh, but this is still, I'm still with this one. You so. could have a guest and you've both read one book together yeah. and then you each read yeah. your own book and you've come and talked. And I can totally flip gears yeah, like that. There you between go. A, a book about, um, you know, slaves escaping the South and a book about <laughs> Soviet nuclear industry. I definitely feel like you should do one nonfiction and then one fiction. Yeah, That's there true. you go. I like that. I was on... F- you like Chernobyl, but the dragon story. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten really, I'm just, so I graduated from Wayne with my MA in 2015. Yeah. I think I'm just finally being able to read nonfiction books again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was so done. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I've been in it since I started in 2016. Okay. And I will be graduating in 2020. It's taken me four years to hey. do two masters in the archives. Yeah, hey, it took me four years to do one master. Oh, God, I need to be done. I got my thesis turned down and had to, oh, had to go an extra semester. I think I know who did that to you, and we're going to talk about off mic for a second about that. Okay. Wait, I just want to recommend Tan France's book, Naturally Tan. Ooh, yes. I binge read I lo- it, oh. and then I was in Atlanta, and I yeah. saw him. What? What? I'm so jealous. Oh well, what have I been reading? But read it. It's good. Yes, I love him. What have I been reading? Um, I've been reading. uh, If you guys know the comic books, the library comic book um, shelved. No. Oh, it's very funny. We have a copy of it at the library I'm working at, and it's just like about patron interactions and it's like no I will not help you do that and no I will not watch your children and like you can't do that he all that that kind of stuff so that's funny and then I've been reading um, Rich People Problems which is the third in the Crazy Rich Asian series because I like a summer a true summer read and I don't have any classes this semester 
Well, so, I think somebody at some point needs to do like an office or Parks and Rec style show. At uh, a library? Or a museum. Or we're going to Yeah. I think one of those two would be. That would be really good. It could be a museum with a research library yeah, built yeah. in. Yeah. I, just from working at that before for like three years, it. I have like. Let's make this an audio pop, an right. audio show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be really good. Totally, totally. All right. Please don't, please don't take your drink from the wedding and just sit in the, you know, sixty-year-old right. Mustang, please. Do like, you want people to follow you on social media? Do you sure. want to give yourself a shout? Do you want I, them hey, to I, you? my life is based around how many followers I have. So, okay. You know. <laughs> as is mine. As is mine. So I am uh, honestly the best. Really, it's just Instagram. Instagram. So it's that's um, the trend. Yep, yeah, and it's pretty easy to remember. It's archive underscore Dave. So right. Archive Dave on Sweet. Instagram. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful hodgepodge of Carhartt history. My nieces and nephews. There you um, go. Yeah. Lauren. My my lovely, lovely girlfriend, Lauren, and um, Prague metal concerts. So Wow. That is a mixture. <laughs> you didn't see that last one. I did not see that last one no, coming. No, or you can check out some amazing videos I just posted from the Absolutely insane Hugh Jackman live show last night. Yeah, which you're was very excited about the greatest that. show. I it's the greatest show on earth. It was literally he is the greatest showman. <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast and you happen to be in a city that he has not visited yet, pay whatever you have to pay to see this man. Sell your kidney. Yeah, no. serious. I'm not even. Kidding. All right. I would have. Cool. He's the perfect human specimen. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, you're welcome. I would love to come on again. So Awesome. <laughs>